Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All-Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen back with you for a special episode today after our emergency podcast yesterday. We went live to talk about a wall yesterday. Today, it's a little bit more interesting, we hope. We're going to be going for a little bit shorter, though. Yesterday ended up being at like a 45-minute episode about a wall. Today, we're talking about a major improvement to the Orioles farm system. It's the first day of the international signing period. We just wrapped up a show in which we talked to Kobe Perez. We're going to run that interview for you later on in this podcast. But, Brendan, the Orioles added 24 players, including several highly touted prospects on the first day of the new international signing period. Yeah, and kind of uncharted waters here for the Baltimore Orioles. In years past, before the Michael Elias era, the Orioles have really not been that involved in the international market. And you see a lot of teams around Major League Baseball that are really built on that international market. I mean, just look at the Atlanta Braves, who just won the World Series. They were led heavily by a lot of guys that they signed internationally. So the Orioles are finally getting into this market, and they had the most money entering the day and use all of it on 24 international players. They came into the day with $6,260,600 to spend. That's tied with seven other teams for the largest bonus pools available in the international signing period. And Kobe Perez did confirm they spent just about every penny of that on players today. Now, they do have until the end of the year to add to that class, but considering they used all their money, don't think they're going to be able to. But in previous years, Brendan, the first couple years of the Mike Elias regime, Kobe Perez kept a little bit of money, held it aside, because he wasn't able to get as many guys or as many high-profile guys in the first or sec, you know, first day of the international signing period, because that requires years of background work that the Orioles hadn't had their their foothold yet in that market. So he kept a little bit of money aside so that later on in this in the year, if another prospect became available that teams weren't expecting to become available, the Orioles could try to swoop in and sign them. For this instance, however, the Orioles wanted to use that money because they have the guys that they want to sign to these contracts. So they they want to add as many guys as possible now because they've done the scouting and they've gotten the guys that they want to agree to these deals, and now it's just a matter of signing on the dotted line. Yeah, it sounds like this was really the first year where the Orioles were kind of on a level playing field in terms of the international market, because the last two years, even with last year, when you're signing two guys for over a million dollars, those were only players that this current regime of Michael Elias and Kobe Perez and company, those two guys were only scouted for two years. And Kobe Perez mentioned that They are scouting guys two, three, four years in advance. I mean, Braylon Tavera specifically, the top international signee from this class for the Orioles, Kobe Perez has said that Tavera had been scouted for about three years. So this international class is probably the first year where the Orioles are actually on an even playing field and can get the guys that they've been scouting for three plus years because from the sounds of things, that's usually how long this process takes to get the guys you really want. Yeah. 
then there's an interesting case with Cesar Prieto that we're going to get into. But first, you mentioned Tavera. Let's talk about, of these 24 guys, the names that you want to remember. First and foremost, Braylon Tavera was the only guy that they signed to a seven-figure deal. He gets $1.7 million from the Orioles. A lot of other guys signed for in the high sixes, but $1.7 million shatters the record that the Orioles set last year as they signed Michael Hernandez and Samuel Basayo to 1.4 and 1.3. 1.7 is the most the Orioles have ever spent on a prospect. Tavera's a top 100 prospect, and it seems like a, a guy that a lot of teams had been coveting, Brendan. Yeah, because he's a potential five-tool guy. He's a 16-year-old outfielder from the Dominican Republic, ranked the 22nd best international prospect according to MLB Pipeline. He's actually ranked higher on Baseball America. He's their 16th ranked prospect. So Braylon Tavera, a really exciting young outfielder, like I mentioned, has five-tool five potential with at least a 50 in all of his scouting tools, that being hitting for average, hitting for power, fielding, running, and arm strength. He is noted as one of the most well-rounded prospects in the entire international class. And obviously at 16 years old, there's a lot of projecting going on. His MLB debut estimate probably won't be until 2026, I would imagine. So Braylon Tavera, we won't see him in the major leagues for a while, but an exciting young prospect that I think will slot in to the Orioles' top 30 prospects pretty soon. Another headliner was Leandro Arias. He's a 16-year-old shortstop, also from the Dominican Republic. 46th-ranked prospect in this class, according to MLB Pipeline. He's a switch hitter. He's reported to have good bat-to-ball skills, an advanced approach at the plate, and power potential from both sides of the plate. Now, he does need to fill out his body. He's 16. I needed to fill out my body at that age, and I did. So it didn't have the same trajectory. Weird as, flex. Didn't have the, yeah. Didn't have the same trajectory as a, as a Leandro Arias or any of these guys. But, you know, I filled out my body. So it, it happens. I can encourage him there. Uh, scouts think he can stick at shortstop, however, as he continues to grow. And they describe his run tool as emerging, and they say it projects as at least average. Yeah, and another prospect that I want to talk about, Paul, Cesar Prieto. You mentioned him a little bit earlier. A really unique case. He's a 22-year-old second baseman from Cuba. And if that sounds weird, it's because most international prospects that are getting signed by teams are either 16 or 17 years old. So he's much older for an international signing at 22, which means he has a chance to move up through the Orioles' ranks pretty quickly. I mean, this guy could even hit the majors within a few years. But as a 21-year-old in the Cuban National Series, he slashed 403, 463, 579 over 76 games. He's a second baseman, but he's also played some shortstop for Cuba as well. And Fangraphs notes him as the best pure hitter in Cuba. He broke Kendris Morales' rookie hits record and then broke the Serie Nationale's hit streak record of 40 games in 2020. And he struck out just six times in 250 plate appearances. So Prieto has an unbelievably advanced approach at the plate. And the Orioles are getting a low-risk hitter with a proven track record. And hopefully that track record is able to translate over to the United States. Kobe Perez mentioned on his Zoom call with the media that the Orioles were able to sign him in part because he only became available a couple months ago when he was became eligible for this international signing period. And... This is an instance where the Orioles not having decades-long experience in this market actually helps in some ways because they have an equal opportunity to guys who recently become available, who unexpectedly become available. 
So the Orioles were able to jump in and say, hey, look at this new Dominican Academy that we're building in Guerra. Look at the presence that we've created down here. Look at Kobe Perez and the kind of culture that he is establishing in the international market. And the Orioles had just as good a shot to sign Cesar Prieto as the Yankees or Marlins or other teams that have dominated the international market over the past few decades. Yeah, and one of the interesting things with Prieto too, like you mentioned, the Orioles were able to sign him because they actually had money left when Prieto became eligible in, I think Kobe Perez said, November. So the interesting part of that is that a lot of other teams had already decided where to spend their money. And when you're looking at trades, you can look back the last few years where kind of randomly, it seems, Michael Elias is throwing in some international signing bonus pool money, and it's hard to quantify where exactly that money is going when those trades happen because there's such a short window where these international signings actually happen. But if you want to look back at a trade over the last few years where Michael Elias was able to get some international signing bonus pool money, that goes towards a guy like Cesar Prieto, who came eligible late in the process, and because the Orioles had some money left over, they were able to get him over other teams that maybe coveted him, but had already decided to spend their money elsewhere. Two other names that the Orioles mentioned specifically in the press release. Shortstop Edwin Amparo and outfielder Thomas Sosa. Amparo is a 17-year-old athletic switch-hitting shortstop from the DR, and Sosa is a 16-year-old Dominican Republic lanky center fielder with an athletic body. So, the Orioles only signing that one seven-figure deal, but they bolstered the class significantly. Of the 24 guys, 12 came from the Dominican Republic, 10 from Venezuela, and then one each Cuba, that's Prieto, and one from Panama. So, The Orioles adding really all positions. We saw last year a lot of outfielders and catchers added, but the Orioles added some pitchers, and they added seven more guys than than the signing class that they had in 2021, which was just 17 players. Part of that probably due to the pandemic, and part of that due to the fact that they had two guys who were worth seven figures. This way, the Orioles spread out the money a little bit better, but not as much as the first international class from Michael Elias, where they signed 30 guys, which included really no high-profile guys. So the Orioles found the happy medium between some high-profile guys and still getting the volume that they wanted. Right, and I think that speaks to where the international market has been for the Orioles in recent years. They can't really afford to spend all of their signing money on just one prospect. I mean, you want to look at the Washington Nationals. They signed two guys for this international signing period because a huge chunk of their money was spent on the second best prospect in the international class. The Orioles have not been active enough in the international market to be able to sign those very, very top guys because they need to flush out the system. They need to actually have a bunch of quality players rather than just some of the top guys. So I think as the years go, we'll probably see the Orioles start to get into signing some of the top guys on the market. But for now, we're seeing them just broaden the scope of the amount of quality international players that they have. Yeah, the Nats spent, I believe, $4.9 million. $4.9 million on one of their players, and they only had, I think, 250,000 left to sign their second player, and that's all they did. And that looks good if that guy turns out to be, if Christian Vaquero turns out to be Juan Soto, or turns out to be Fernando Tatis Jr., or Ronald Acuna, some of the high-profile, extremely successful players that have come from this market, but the Orioles aren't quite in that position. 
they hope that one of these guys can burst onto the scene and and make his way up to the big leagues, but volume is important here as the Orioles build this system from the ground up. Well, I mentioned Kobe Perez's interview with me that I did earlier. Take a listen to what Kobe had to say about this international signing class. Well, it's a busy day for Orioles Senior Director of International Scouting, Kobe Perez. So we thank him very much for hopping on Mass and All Access now. Kobe, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be on, Paul. Thanks. So three years in now under Mike Elias and the Orioles international presence has grown dramatically over the last three years. Today, you took a step forward by adding 24 guys in the first day of the new international signing class. Do you feel like you took a big step forward today in continuing to build a great presence in the international market? Yeah, absolutely. We feel really, really good about our signing class. We think we've added a a lot of talent to an already talented organization. Um, We we, we are making huge strides here in Latin America. Uh, I know we've spoken in the past about the complex that we're building and you know, everything is looking looking good, and I think uh, soon uh, these players will be at affiliates in, in the U.S., and, and, you know, we'll come back to these days and say, you know, it took years to, uh, to get it right, but um, I think we're moving in the right direction. The most high-profile name in this class and the record-breaking deal of this class went to Braylon Tavera, the outfielder from the Dominican Republic, $1.7 million dollars. What, in your mind, made him worthy of a deal that high? And what do you like about him? And what helped you get him? Yeah, so, so Braylon is a highly coveted uh, prospect who many teams are, were on. And again, we're signing him today, but we've been working on this guy for close to three years, ever since I got here. And, you know, I think uh, in talking to his family and his agent, just the presence that we now have in Latin America, you know, him becoming the highest paid uh, international player uh, in, in Orioles history, uh, you know, really pushed him towards us. Um, you know, the fact that we're doing an academy uh, down in the DR, the fact that he was personally scouted by Mike Elias, um, you know, all, all, all pointed him towards us. And, and, you know, the fact that, you know, we, we, we really stood on him and, and, you know, we were able to compete with him with the other, other teams and, I think some of those things that I mentioned um, pushed him toward toward us. So uh, he's a he's a talented kid. He's got five tools um, as a 16 year old, and we're ho- we're hoping that we can work on him developing those tools and, and hopefully playing in the major leagues for us. Cesar Prieto stands out for a number of reasons. He's from Cuba. He's the only member of this class from there, and he's 22 years old. And you brought up some an interesting story of Mike Elias actually scouting him in person and getting to see him with his own eyes. Did that help recruit him? And what was the process like in getting a, a little bit of an older guy from Cuba, uh, as opposed to a lot of these younger guys, some from Venezuela, some from the Dominican Republic? Prieto is a kind of different prospect. How were you able to get him into the fold? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of time, uh, a little bit of luck is involved in, in signing these guys. So he was declared a minor league, he was declared a free international free agent in November. So obviously that was a couple months ago. Um, as you know, in this market, teams work and, and come to agreements early. So we were in a good situation where um, he, he was available. We were monitoring, monitoring his, his uh, free agency. And once he became available, we were able to scout him and kind of be one of the teams in the forefront 
there was other suitors there. The fact that Michael Elias, Brandon Hyde, Eve Rosenbaum all scouted this player, had conversations with this player, uh, explained to him the opportunities that we have here in Baltimore, um, I think definitely helped us sign this player. Um, there was other suitors, uh, other organizations, uh, but I think the uh, his agent, Dave Hastings, and, and the player and the player's dad uh, all liked the situation that could be for him in Baltimore. So, um, you know, this is a player with a track record, a high-profile international player, very coveted, uh, has, has his, you know, his track record speaks for himself, and I think uh, it's a tremendous addition to, to the Orioles. How much does having an academy which is on its way broke ground just a few months ago in this academy in Guerra, how much does that help in the recruiting process, showing players that you have a physical embodiment of the kind of growth that you have created down there? I think, I think it, it, it helps tremendously. I mean, we're breaking ground in a brand new academy, and the players know that this is for them. You know, this, this, is, this is where you're going to be when you're home in the DR. You have somewhere to go. You have somewhere to work out. You're going to have staff there. Um, you know, you're going to have, you know, supplements, meals, anything you need, education. Uh, we're, we're here to stay. You know, this is not a one or two year thing. This is a long term play. And I think the players, the parents and the agents realize that when they sign with us that, uh, you know, we're here for them. And, 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 you know, we're taking this real serious. Last but not least, you said on your call with the media earlier that you used almost the entirety of the pool money that was allotted to you. Now, you're technically allowed to sign players really until the end of the year, but did you feel like it was important to use the vast majority of your money today on the first day of the international signing period? Well, the thing is, as you know, uh, for this class, we've been working on it for three years, so we felt comfortable um, pulling the trigger on these guys because we had enough work done uh, that 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 made us feel good about these players. So in past years, uh, you know, we still were a little behind the curve as far as getting the work done and the process that we have in place to to make decisions on players. So I think going forward, you know, we're, we're going to be signing you know higher end players, and uh, as, as we did this year, and and to an extent last year. Um, because, you know, the work is done uh, so far ahead in advance. So, um, you know, the players that will sign in the next year's class, like we've identified some of those guys already. So, um, you know, we're in a much better situation now than we were, you know, when we first came in three years ago. Absolutely. Another step forward and another exciting a day for Birdland. Senior Director of International Scouting, Kobe Perez, thanks so much for hopping on. We really appreciate your time and congratulations on signing 24 players. Thank you so much for having me on, Paul. So that was Kobe Perez talking about this international signing class. And Brendan, the, the two names, Basayo and Hernandez from last year, hopefully we start to see them rise through the system. But even guys that were signed in January of 2021 are still years and years and years away. So it's going to take quite a while for people to see the fruits of this. But understand that this is a multifaceted approach by the Orioles. It's not just the international market. It's not just increased attention focused on the MLB draft. It's all of these things coming together that hopefully build a complete organization with a full working talent pipeline. Right. Basayo and Hernandez, like you mentioned, their estimated MLB debuts aren't until 2025. Yeah. So this is not a short-sighted move by Mike Elias and Kobe Perez 
kind of like we talked about yesterday with the left field wall. This is a long-term solution for the Orioles to just get better prospects into their system, a system that is already loaded and is including Michael Hernandez, who is the 19th-ranked prospect in the Orioles' top 30, and Samuel Basayo, who is the 24th-ranked prospect in the Orioles' top 30. I would expect to see Tavera somewhere in the top 30 and maybe Cesar Prieto as well because of his advanced approach at the plate. But like you said, they don't have the top guys, but it is going to be a long process to get to get the Orioles where they need to be in the international market and getting a lot of quality players is a good place to start. Pareto is a fascinating case because of his age. And Steve Molesky asked Kobe Perez where he thinks he would start. And Kobe said Matt Blood would probably be a better person to answer that question. Player development side of things. Kobe Perez is more focused on signing these guys than he is on how quickly they move up through the organization. But Brendan, 22 years old, it's about the age of Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, who are awfully close to the big leagues. The other curve that comes for a lot of these guys that Kobe Perez specifically mentioned was culture acquisition, you know, culture change. It's language acquisition. It's it's being able to understand the language to the point where you, uh, you know, can can live here full time. And there is a significant culture change going uh, from Latin America to the United States and going from Northeast. So that is something that a lot of people forget about. And I think that it is so amazing to see the kind of growth that you see from a lot of players as they come up through the system and as they... That's why the Dominican Academy, I think, is so important. It's not just, they're not just teaching them how to field ground bowls. They're teaching them about American culture. They're teaching them the language. It is every time a, a prospect comes from that pipeline and comes up to the major leagues, it is an incredible success story because of how hard it is to do and how uh, in, impressive these kids are. Yeah. Kobe Perez mentioned that Prieto. I believe has only been in the United States for about two or three months. So a lot of what the Orioles are going to have to do is not only determine where he should go based on his baseball talent, but what might be the best situation for him in terms of acclimating to the United States and getting used to the culture here. And I think it's also important to note, Paul, that the reason that this conversation is only surrounding Prieto is because the Orioles are usually signing... 16, 17 year old guys. So we don't need to talk about where they might fit into the Orioles minor league system. They're all starting in the Dominican summer league. So that's why we're not talking about guys like Braylon Tavera and will he start at Aberdeen or something like that. He's going to the Dominican summer league. So we don't need to spend time talking about that. But Prieto talent wise, Kobe Perez said he could pretty easily fit into at least the middle tier of the Orioles minor league system if not a higher tier. And Steve Molesti even asked if he could work into the major league team at some point this year because that's how good he has been in Cuba. So yeah. it'll be really interesting to see. I would imagine Prieto starts in the minors somewhere, maybe double-A buoy. Uh, I think that's a little guess, lofty. But it, it, it's, I don't think it's lofty based on talent, but if they are just starting to work him into the system, I could see him starting at low A. I, just to move him up quickly, but talent-wise, yeah. he might be a double-A, triple-A player. They might be a little bit more conservative with him. It helps that they have the DSL, and he'll be very, he would be very advanced for that league. Too advanced, and, probably. Too advanced, and then they have the Florida Complex League, which maybe they'll, t- they'll make use of in this instance as sort of a middle ground because you're going to have, he, he, if he plays in the Florida Complex League, he's going to be playing with guys who were either recently drafted 
or some guys that recently played in the Dominican Summer League who are all around his age. He might be a little older for those guys, but I think that's a possible starting place. I think it would be a little bit difficult to throw him right into Delmarva, but we'll see how the Orioles treat this guy. It's, it is not imperative that he move up quickly. It's not like they have to worry about adding him to the 40-man roster for a Rule 5 draft or right. anything like that. Yeah, not imperative that they move him up quickly, but just talent-wise, I mean, he might, he might be breaking the door down pretty soon. It's tempting. Because if you look at his numbers in Cuba, obviously it is very difficult to estimate how those numbers are going to translate to the minor leagues or Major League Baseball, but the numbers are incredibly intriguing. Yeah. And the approach at the plate is unbelievable. Yeah. So Prieto, I think, has a chance to move up very quickly throughout the minor league system, especially if Kobe Perez is already saying that talent-wise, he could be to the mid to upper tiers of the Oriole system. Well, if you haven't heard our wall podcast that we did yesterday, it is thrilling stuff. It's 45 minutes of us talking about a wall and goodness were people riled up. People were incredibly fired up. I was... I was uh, you were getting pretty riled Verbally up there, jousting Paul. with some yeah. Orioles fans. Uh, but let us know what you think of the Orioles' new international signing class and go back and listen to yesterday's podcast, which we did with an emergency episode. And then, of course, we have the Earl Weaver draft. We did part one last week. We have part two coming up this Tuesday. And then we will take your vote in terms of who has the best roster between myself, Brendan, and our producer, Tim Leonard, well, that'll be the ultimate decider is the, the people. Yeah, I think Paul and Tim were leading the way, at least in terms of comments, when we were doing part one yeah. of the all Earl Weaver draft. So I've got some ground to make up if I want to be competitive in this fan vote. But the bulk of the draft is coming because we did right. rounds one through seven. There's rounds eight through 15. That's a lot of time this to make up the draft some is won or lost. Exactly. Can you find value in the later rounds? That's exactly right. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. Of course, give us a like, give us a thumbs up, give us a five-star rating. You can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you don't already, you should be watching along on YouTube and Facebook as well. And go back and watch our show from today as well. We did a show on YouTube and Facebook. Good show. Disgusting. Yeah, and you can have a visual representation of who these guys are and the kind of skill sets that they're bringing to the table. He is at Brendan Morty on Twitter. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks so much for tuning in and tune in this Tuesday for part two of the All Earl Weaver Draft. 